Good morning, Hallmark. How you doing this morning? Everything going all right? If you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, that's where we will begin. We'll be bouncing around a lot. We'll try to stay in Proverbs. Uh, but uh, get your fingers warmed up because we're about to be moving. <laughs> I want to take a quick uh, survey, a quick poll, just to see how the room is feeling. How excited, or uh, let me put it this way, raise your hand if you are really excited about talking about financial matters this morning. Raise your hand. Okay. I got about 10% of you. All right, so that means the other 90% of you, you just made this sermon about 10 to 15 minutes longer. Because I now have to spend time trying to encourage you <laughs> to get ready for this. No, I would say that's probably about average, right? No one's excited to do this. In fact, there was a survey done by the American Psychological Association, and they found that 75% of Americans are experiencing financial stress at least some of the time. They're feeling that weight and that burden and that stress. They even found out that 25% of Americans are feeling extreme financial stress. Okay, so it, it, it's a touchy subject. It's something that we're not always excited to talk about. So there's been two responses to this predicament, and they've gone in two different directions. One response has been, you know what, it's a stressful subject, so guess what, we're just not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. And so what happens is within the marriage, they begin to separate financially. They have his money and her money. They have her bills and his bills. Her income, his income. His credit cards, her credit cards. Her debts, his debts. And it's leading to a phenomenon that's been known as financial infidelity. To where not only do they have separate accounts, but they have accounts their spouses don't even know about. They have debts their spouses don't even know about. So that's been one of the responses. The other response has been pretty interesting. They're actually talking about it, and they're sharing all of their expenses and all of their income. They're acting as one. But what's real interesting is this one little tidbit, that among those who are surveyed, that, that, that do, uh, their, their finances combined, if they talk about their finances at least once a week with their spouse, if they just talk about it once a week with their spouse, 50% of them are saying that their marriage is extremely happy. Amen. Extremely happy. And it's really because of this one indicator of we're just talking about it once a week. And so this is the goal this morning, that we can move from fighting about finances to fighting for our finances. Amen. This morning we're going to go over five financial disciplines. All right? It's disciplines. And I know that's not exciting either. <laughs> We're just going on a downhill ride right now. But they're disciplines, all right? But be encouraged from Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer says, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Can you imagine a day where you have a financial conversation with your spouse and it is characterized by this verse, that after you walked away from that financial conversation, it was a conversation of peace and righteousness. That's our goal here this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to help us this morning. Please guide our hearts. 
Father, we believe that life is way too short and it's way too important to waste our time fighting about finances. Help us to recognize and to realize that all we have is yours. Help us to embrace wise financial disciplines and then place them in our family each and every day of our lives. Father, we want to do uh, more for your kingdom. And we realize this is one of the ways that we can do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Number one in your notes is fight for generosity. Fight for generosity. Be a giver. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. The Bible instructs us to honor God with all of our wealth. And there's really two ways that we can do this. Here in this verse, it recognizes first fruits. First fruits was a portion of the increase that was dedicated to God. He calls for this all throughout the Old Testament. And the reason why uh, first fruits is the term is because the Old Testament was mostly a farming community. I'm not a farmer, but I have attempted some gardening uh, at my house. In my backyard, I have a raised bed. It's a small one. Had it for about three to four years. I'm really fascinated with the idea to be able to live off the land, right? In my mind, I see myself going out to the fields. It's a four foot by eight foot garden. Out to the fields, collecting my bounty, my harvest, and bringing it into the home and feeding the family, okay? Now, Honestly, I'm doing better at feeding the rabbits and the rats than I am my family. But it's a really nice idea, right? Every year the same thing happens. I get really excited in the beginning of spring, and I put a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of effort into it. I make sure the soil is just right. I make sure I'm watering it. I mean, this garden needs my attention almost every other day just to keep it going. And then typically my son Reed, he usually finds the first fruit. And for me, it's been a tomato. And he'll say, Dad, Dad, look, here's a tomato. It's a baby tomato. Look, it's so cute. And I'll go over there and I'll check it out and say, yeah, yeah, that's cool. We got our first one. It's coming through. And then for the next three, four, five weeks, all of my attention, all of my efforts, all of my focus is on that baby tomato because I want to make it ripe. I can't wait. I'm so excited when I see this tomato. I cannot wait that the fruits of my labor are paying off and I'm going to get to enjoy this fresh ripe tomato straight off the vine. And then it dawns on me. God calls for the first fruits. The reason why he's doing this is because he wants what's most important in our life. He should be most important. And so the only way we can make him most important is if we give him what it is that's taking all of our time, all of our energy, and just consuming all of our thoughts. We have to put him first and give him our first fruits. He's a first-place God. He doesn't take second place. Usually with my garden towards the end of the season, I have lots of tomatoes that I'm throwing away because I'm just sick of them. God doesn't want the leftovers. He wants what's fruit. He, He wants what's first because that's where our heart is. The first fruits is the most important part. The other parts in the Bible, it talks about this as being the tithe. The tithe is just an old English word for a tenth or 10%. And God does something really amazing By calling for 10%. The first thing he does is he makes it an opportunity for everyone. Everybody can participate in giving a tenth of their income. Had God said, bring me $10, some of us would legitimately be able to come and say, I just don't have $10. I can't do it. 
But he didn't. He wanted everyone to be able to participate. So he calls for a percentage, 10%. Something else amazing he does is he levels the playing field for everyone. Whether you make $100 or you make $1,000, it's still just 10%. He levels it out. He enables it for everyone to be able to participate in this because he knows what's best for our lives, and that's keeping him first as our provider. The other unique thing about the tithe is that it is designated to the local church. He wants his church to be a lighthouse in the community that it's planted in. So he wants the tithe to be brought to his storehouse for the local church. That's one way to be generous. The other way to be generous is through offerings. Offerings is anything above and beyond the tithe. Again, the tithe is dedicated to God. It's his holy portion for the church. But offerings are anything above and beyond that. Offerings are unique in the sense that you can give them to wherever you want to give them. God wants you to be generous. He wants you to go above and beyond. And he wants you to give anywhere and everywhere. Some here at Hallmark, they choose to give their offerings uh, as their tithe and, and their general fund offering envelope. Essentially, they become a 15, 20, 25% tither. And that's wonderful. Others choose to give their offerings to missionaries and to ministries that we have going all around the world. Some give their offerings to uh, Mana Worldwide, or as we just heard from Real for Christ, or the Salvation Army, or Samaritan's Purse. There's lots of opportunities to give offerings, and we should participate in those, but not with our tithe, because God says the tithe is dedicated to the local church for his ministry. So here's the, here's the big deal. Why, why do we need to fight for generosity? Why do we need to fight for this? Dave Ramsey puts it this way. Now, this is really a good way to put it. This is interesting. Watch this. Tithing was created for our benefit. You catch that? Tithing was created for our benefit. It teaches us how to keep God first in our lives and how to live unselfishly. Unselfish people make better spouses, friends, relatives, employees, and employers. And they usually have better finances. God is trying to teach us how to prosper over the time. Who will have more friends? One who is charitable or one who is unsympathetic? Who's going to get the next promotion at, jo- at, at the job? Is it going to be the greedy employee or will it be the generous employee? Let me ask you this for your marriage. Who's going to be married longer? The spouse who is selfish or the spouse who is unselfish? You see, we need to fight for generosity because there is a direct connection in the way that we're generous and to the way that we are going to lead our homes. We must fight for generosity. Now, please understand, I know, you know, there's some that think, well, this is a church, and that's all they're asking for, they want the money. But please understand, please hear our hearts. We don't want your money. And God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He just wants to be first place in your life. So be generous. Fight for generosity. Number two in your notes is fight for patience. Fight for patience. Be a saver. In your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21. In verse 20 it says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So here Proverbs, uh, Solomon's going to give us a comparison of two men. We have a wise man and a foolish man. The issue is not income. Okay, The assumption is they both make the same. Which is also really something that's kind of interesting about those stress surveys. They also broke those surveys down by those who made less than 50000 a year and those who made more than 50000 a year. There was no difference in, in the stress. 
They're both comparable. So it's really the secret's all about how we're spending it and communicating about it. But here there's the wise man. And if you were to go in his house, you would find that there's treasure and there's oil. There's, there's money, there's resources, there's valuables, there's things that he has stored up. The foolish man, on the, how, on, on the other hand, has devoured it all. In other words, he got his paycheck and he spent it all. He didn't put any aside for later on down the road when something might happen. There are things we need to save for. And this is common sense. There's nothing new about this, but I just want to remind you all. What are some of the things that we need to save for? How about an emergency fund? How many of you have ever had an emergency where you need cash? Raise your hand. Man, some of you are living right. You have not had an emergency yet? Man. We're, there's going to be a time. It's going to happen. You need an emergency fund. Put $1,000 in the bank. Just leave it there. And don't touch it. Once you got that going for a little while, you need to increase that emergency fund. Probably need to save it up to three to six months worth, according to some financial advisors. There could be a job change. There could be something that come up that you're not expecting, and you're just going to need to have those funds saved up. How about savings for long-term goals? How many of you have lived long enough in your house that it needs fixing and replacing? <laughs> right? The washer and the dryer are going to break down. It's going to happen. Don't send your kids to school in stinky clothes. <laughs> Save money and have it ready for when those things happen. Wedding costs. Do you know what the average cost for a wedding is in America right now? It's like $35,000. It's crazy. Now, Dad, do you want to be the one to tell your daughter she's a below-average daughter? <laughs> Right before you give her away? No, no. All right, so save up. Be ready for this. College costs. College costs. State school. A state school. And this is a conservative amount. If they were going to, to go to a state school for room board and tuition for four years, $80,000 per kid. <laughs> no discounts for multiple kids. Sorry, guys. Retirement. How many of you would like to retire one day? Is this a good idea? AARP is recommending between $1 and $1.5 million to retire. All right? They say that's for a comfortable retirement. Sounds really comfortable. <laughs> but that's what they're recommending. How about an inheritance? You think it would be a good idea to give an inheritance one day? Proverbs 13.22 says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Y'all catch that? I'm hooking y'all up right now. All right. What was the verse I just said? Okay, let's, let's work with this. This is like a million-dollar decision right now, okay? Proverbs 13, 22. Say it. Yeah. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. All right. So who does that mean you need to talk to later on today? Grandpa. Y'all there. All right, y'all smart. There you go. Go ask Grandpa how good of a man he's going to be. See, see, see where that gets you. <laughs> we want to leave an inheritance. But how about this? How about savings for extravagant gifts? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Turn there real quick. This is really cool. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In this passage, we're going to see the Apostle Paul writing to this church a letter. And Paul is traveling around on a missionary journey, so he's not at this location, but he's going to send a letter in advance uh, before he gets there. And this letter is going to contain this passage here where he's going to ask them to take a special offering. 
Proverbs or 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And watch how he does this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. We need to save for extravagant gifts. And what I really love about this passage is that it is a systematic savings plan. Did you catch that? On the first day of the week, put something aside as you may prosper. You don't know what opportunity is going to come up down the road in 5 years, 10 years, 15 years. But God is probably preparing you for one. And when God lays out that opportunity, you're going to be ready to unleash an extravagant gift that could be life-changing for eternity. But we have to prepare right now. We have to save. Why should we fight for patience? Because here's the, here's the big deal about patience. Being patient and saving says a whole lot more about the God I serve than it does me myself. It says that the God I serve gives me more than enough. Is that true? And do you believe you serve a God that gives you more than enough? This is how this visibly tells the world. The God I serve is a great God. He gives me more than I need. I mean, think about it with the inheritance. An inheritance, you're telling your children, I lived my whole life, I trusted God with my whole life, and He met all of my needs. In fact, my cup runs over. And so I'm giving you, my children, and my children's children, an inheritance. Because this is how good God was to me. He's worth trusting with your whole life, and I hope that you choose to do that also. I mean, what a visible illustration, a tangible illustration for us to understand how good God is. So fight for patience. Be a saver. Number three is fight for wisdom. Fight for wisdom. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Proverbs 25, 28. It says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. After giving and saving, we need to wisely spend what remains. Proverbs paints a picture here of a city that has been attacked been broken into, it's been ransacked, it's been looted, and now it is left unprotected and in ruins. All right, this is not the city that you would walk by when you're traveling one day and say, oh, that looks like a nice place to set up a house and live there for a while. This is not that city, all right? This city has been a city that's been a victim of without self-control, and this is what our lives look like if we do not have self-control in our life. Now, financially speaking, what is self-control? It's the budget. It's the budget. The budget puts up walls and it puts up boundaries so that we can have protection. Now, think of it this way. We, we don't have walls around our cities like they did back then, at least yet. We don't have walls around our cities, but there are some walls in our lives that each and every one of us depend upon. And that's the walls in our homes. And how do these walls, how, how, what role do they play? Well, they play a role of protecting 
what is inside from what is outside. So, essentially, what the budget is going to do is going to protect who's inside my home from the dangers that lurk outside my home. Is that worth protecting? You see, our financial decisions are going to affect more than just us. It affects our whole family. We've got to have a budget to stick to a plan so that we do not become like one without self-control and to be in ruin. So how do we do this? Well, you get to have some fun. Dedicate one day a year to budget planning. <laughs> Excited? I'm trying to encourage you all today. I, I don't know if this is going to work out. but <laughs> Dedicate one full day a year to budget planning. Think of it this way. The average household in, Amer in Texas is between fifty dollars to $55,000 worth of income. If you're about to make a $50,000 decision, do you think it would be worth the time to say, hey, let's spend one day, just one day, let's just talk it over. And I'll even talk it over with my spouse, right? Involve her on this $50,000 decision. It's a pretty big deal. So dedicate one day. Communicate your wishes and desires to your spouse. Just talk it over. What would you desire? What would you like to see happen? Now, typically, when you have that discussion, it ends up becoming a $150,000 budget. <laughs> And we have to come back to reality and say, okay, we've got to trim this down to something we can agree upon. But do that. Budget every single expense, every single dollar that you believe you'll be coming into that God's going to place in your hands that year, budget it all out on paper. You know, today we have some uh, resources, tons of resources available for us. We can utilize apps. There's cheat sheets on the, on the web. You can Google budget sheets. Lots of cool resources to make this easy. Uh, once you do the annual budget, you need to have monthly planning meetings, really just to check up and say, hey, we, we decided to do this at the beginning of the year. Where are we at? Today's October 1, right? Where are we at? Are we still on track to what we were hoping to be? Fight for wisdom. Wisely spend what it is that God's entrusting you with. So wisely spend it. Fight for wisdom. Uh, the next generation, number four. Fight for the next generation. Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Fight for the next generation. What are you teaching your children about finances? What are you teaching them? Larry Perquette puts it this way. He's a Christian financial author and a radio host, and he says this. He says, every one of our children should learn to live on a reasonable budget themselves. There's no greater financial asset that parents can leave their children than the knowledge of how to establish and live on a balanced budget. No greater financial asset you can give your kids than to train them and teach them how to live on a balanced budget. Kids learn in many, many ways. Some lessons are caught, and some lessons are taught. I remember growing up, I, I caught many financial lessons just from watching my parents. We were a family of seven, and a family of seven likes to eat. And a family of seven that likes to eat, eating gets expensive, right? And so there was things we had to do. My, my parents made decisions to make sure we could eat rather than enjoy some other stuff. So I remember many, many years, we didn't have cable or satellite TV. You know? 
Not a big deal. We made it. We survived. Many, many years, um, we only had one car. <laughs> it was a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> you ever seen a family of seven use a Toyota Corolla? It's a neat trick. You ought to try it one day. <laughs> but there were some years that we actually had two cars, and those cars were cash cars. You ever had a cash car? They're always a little custom, right? They have some unique features about them. One of our cash cars, we had to, it was a cold Sunday morning. We needed to warm it up, so we went outside, turned it on, went back in the house. A few minutes later, smelled smoke. <laughs> I think it's ready. <laughs> it's all warmed up, ready to go. We had another cash car, and it was awesome. It was a 1985 Pontiac Grand Prix V8. Strong engine. Strong engine. This thing had 240,000 miles on it. This thing would take you anywhere you wanted to go. Except reverse. It didn't, <laughs> just didn't have a reverse, you know. But other than that, it was awesome. It was really cool. I think that's where I got most of my planning skills from. You've got to be careful when you go into a parking lot. You have to watch what you're doing. But you see, I watched my parents make these decisions, and they taught me valuable lessons about how to use money. Because I, I want to eat, right? <laughs> so there's some things I'm going to have to give up just to make sure we have money for some other things. Some lessons are taught. Some lessons are taught. With my children, we, we have a chore chart system, and on their refrigerator is a couple of chore charts, and they mark it off every day of the week that they do a chore. Uh, there's been, lately, there's been an occurrence where they're marking up a whole lot of things on payday, so I need to figure out what's going on there. Uh, but every Friday, or I better take that back, most Fridays are paydays. And on Fridays, on payday, I call the children and say, all right, get your banks, Get your chore charts. It's time to get paid. And so we'll tally everything up, and they'll sit at the table, and they'll bring their, they'll bring their, uh, their banks. And this is Reed's bank. It's a really cool bank. It's three banks in one. And they'll lay out their pay on the table, and I'll say, all right, what's the most important thing we do with our money? And they'll say, give. And I'm like, all right, well, let's, what are we going to give? And they'll break a portion of their pay, and they'll put it inside give. And then I'll ask them, what's the next thing that we do with our money? And they'll say, we need to save. And I'll say, you're right. So break a portion of it up, put it in save. What's the last thing we do with our money? Then we spend, that's right. So they'll take a portion of it and they'll put it in, spend, in spending. And it's, really, it's a lot of fun doing this because you really get to see the personalities of your children. My daughter is a saver. She can care less about spending. She'll put all the money in savings. <laughs> Reed, however, is a different story. He hates the idea of saving. In fact, this is his bank, and if you look inside, there's really just pennies and nickels in there. That's about it. Uh, it's, it's, he thinks he's losing the money if he has to save it. But these are valuable lessons that they need to learn. I said most Fridays is payday because there are some Fridays that I forget. My, parent, my, my kids love it when I forget. Because on the next Friday that is payday, they remind me that I forgot. And you know what they tell me? They say, Dad, you forgot a payday. You owe us interest. <laughs> and so you need to teach them about this, right? And if I'm going to pay them interest, they're going to hear my interest lecture. I say, all right, what's interest? And they'll say, free money. I was like, you're right, it's free money. There's two types of people in the world. Who are they? Well, there's people that give away free money or lose free money, and there's people that receive free money. And I said, which one do y'all want to be? We want to receive free money. All right, so dad loses free money and gives it to the children so they can have free money. 
These are valuable lessons our kids need to understand before they go out into the world and make the big mistakes themselves. Okay? Now, look, I, I want to give you the, the, the most motivation uh, that I can give you for this, parents. And so I've come up with this one line. I hope this sets you free and that you become so excited you're going to run home and start teaching your kids giving and saving and spending and all that stuff. I hope you do that. So here, here's my one line of inspiration. You ready? If you do not teach your kids to live on a reasonable budget, they will continue to live on your budget Amen. for a really, really long time. All right? Fight for the next generation. Number five is fight for your freedom. Fight for your freedom. I love how God lays out Scripture. He doesn't lay out Scripture on accident, does He? I mean, in, verse, in chapter 22 of Proverbs, verse 6, we just read, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So God has captured every parent's attention, right? I need to train my children up in the way they should go. So the question the parents are now asking is, all right, so what should I do? How should I train them? He then wrote verse 7. <laughs> Connected to verse 6, he writes verse 7, which is, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave of the lender. Right next door to parents talking about their kids. This is incredible to me. Of all the things that God could have compared debt to, he chose to compare it to slavery. Because nobody in their right mind wants to volunteer for slavery, right? If I put up a sign-up sheet in the back, you could sign up for the next 48 to 60 months of your life for slavery. All right? No one's going to sign up on this sheet. Because slavery is just not worth it. Slavery is not fun. Slavery means I have to give up all of my freedoms. And that's the idea that God is trying to convey here to those of us when it comes to working with our finances. We want to stay debt-free. Now, let's be clear here. Debt is not a sin. It's not a sin. You can go and get as many credit cards and, and loans and as much debt as you want. And as long as you fulfill your agreement and you pay your bills on time, that's not a sin. Okay? However, nowhere in Scripture is debt ever considered to be wise. It's just not there. It's always something that we want to avoid. It's something we want to stay away from. It's slavery. Debt is not the place where we want to be. And so we must fight for our freedom. I want you to watch this video of a family that chose to fight for their freedom and watch what they did in their freedom. In the lobby of Ramsey Solutions, Nigel and Brianna are with us. Welcome to the Dave Ramsey Show. Hey, Dave. We're so excited to be here. Well, we're honored to have you. Where do you two live? East Texas, uh, Lindale. Okay, very cool. Well, welcome to Nashville. Thank you. And you're here to do your debt-free scream. Finally. I love it. And how much have you paid off? $111,290. Love it. And how long did that take? Forever. 63 it's months. 63 months? Yes. Wow, that's real. <laughs> and uh, what kind of range of income during that time? Um, 50000 up to um, $115,000 plus, hopefully by the end of this year. Wow, nice increase, though, during that five-year period of time. So what do you two do for a living? I'm a tree farmer. Um, I do, um, I do a special projects for a commercial tree farm, and she does medical recruiting from home. Okay, very cool. 
Very cool. So what's caused your all's income to go up over double during this five years? I started working from home, and my husband is a very hard worker, and he's gotten several promotions. Ah, he very works cool. very hard for us. Very good. Good. That's awesome. So what kind of debt was the 111000 Everything. It was two student loans, two vehicles, um, hospital debt, a credit card to buy windows, pretty much everything. <laughs> a little bit of very. You yeah. were normal. We were normal. We I thought we were normal. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were. Normal's broke. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of every kind of debt. So, uh, what happened five years and three months ago? I'm so glad you asked. So, we were at church, and our church was going to offer a financial peace university. And Nigel said, "Oh, it's one of those crazy guys who wants you to sell your vehicle and walk to work, or something." Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I said, "We should really do this because I'm the nerd." And we, uh, we were teaching on Wednesday nights, teaching youth. And so we got a home kit, and we listened to them, kind of. Um, but in April of 2011, we came to Nashville to visit family, and we came to the studio, and you were gone um, at an event, but we got to talk to Martha when she was still here, and mm -hmm. she gave us the DVD set. Wow. We went home and watched it in a week, um, and then that following week... Um, Nigel sold his truck. Oh, and walked to work. <laughs> <laughs> he sold his He's truck. He's a prophet. <laughs> and he, uh, he traded it for two um, less expensive vehicles. And then I, in turn, sold my car right after that. Um, and we were just hardcore. That first couple months, we got rid of a lot of debt. And then we had our second child. And then we kind of, the three years in between, we just kind of... Um, stayed afloat. Mm -hmm. We never added debt, mm -hmm. but we, um, we weren't using envelopes the whole time mm -hmm. and we weren't doing... Mm. So you lost your emotional momentum. Yes. Okay. All right. And, <laughs> Probably uh, my fault. Oh my gosh. And okay. So, and so um, it was a year ago. A year ago, our church was doing Financial Peace University and we were coordinators for a class. And that is what, um, that's what changed everything. Nigel, I'm the nerd. I know that's hard to believe. Um, that's what changed everything. Nigel was completely on board um, a year ago, and we just, we just put everything towards it. He got a couple um, bonuses, and I think that was hard. Um, just putting that, you got that big chunk of money. And yeah, just, Thro throwing just that throwing at that debt. Yeah. But hard. if you're a coordinator, it's kind of like, you're, you're kind of like under the magnifying glass. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You put your, yeah, there's nothing more tough than teaching something to make you do it. Right. And I mean, what, what was really neat with that, um, the groups were, um, every generation was in our group, and so we had people a lot older than us, people younger than us, and it was so neat because everybody was kind of on the same page, and then we had cheerleaders, and it was, it was just a, it was a really neat experience, and they're cheering us on right now. I love um, it. So that was awesome. And then um, a cool school, a cool story, because, you know, the Lord is all in, all in our journey. Um, the very, the very last payment we made, I went to the mailbox on a Saturday morning and I got an escrow check and it was literally within dollars of what we owed to oh, pay wow. off everything. And so I just stood at the mailbox and I had tears in my eyes and I showed him and I said, this is how we know we're doing the right thing. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty amazing. That's pretty neat. That's like God just winking at you. Yeah. Yes. Very nice. Very fun. So how much of the 111,000 happened in the last 12 or 14 months then? 21,000. Okay. So you got, you got on fire and just knocked it out then. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Very cool. And the, the income increase is recent. And so now, I mean, 
the sky's the limit. We're so excited. We talked all the way from Texas just on what we're going to do yeah. and how much we're going to give. And we overtipped today for lunch, and that was really fun. <laughs> that is fun. All right, and the three girls are yes. with you. And uh, what are their names? Addison turned seven yesterday. Uh -huh. uh, Kinley will be five next month, and Caroline is three. So okay. forgive and, her. And they've got uh, specialized T-shirts. For yes. those of you not watching on YouTube, you can... Uh, see the uh, t-shirts and when they line up uh the three beautiful little blonde girls it says we're one says we're the next one says debt and the next one says free so i'm not sure the one that the middle child had to wear the word debt that's that's like <laughs> typical it, yeah it's the middle child <laughs> she's pretty resilient <laughs> she'll make it yeah well my middle child's gonna make it that's rachel so <laughs> not bad that's fun well congratulations thank beautiful you. beautiful family very thank very you. proud of you and thank you for everything that you do well, you're, Thank you're changing you. lives. You're, you're the heroes, man. I mean, you did this stuff. You changed the, yourself, and now you're coordinating a class, and so passing it on, that's absolutely incredible. And looking at those three girls, it's worth it, no doubt. Very cool. And, of course, we've got a signed copy of Chris Hogan's new book, Retire Inspired, the awesome. number one best-selling book for you as our gift. Because that's the next chapter. Become very wealthy and over-tip for the rest of your life. That's pretty cool. We've got three weddings to pay for. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's not worried about college. He's worried about weddings. Smart man. <laughs> very smart man. I love it. Well, very well done, you guys. Very well done. All right. It's Nigel and Brianna. Or is it Brianna, I guess? Brianna. And, Brianna and, and Addison and Kinley and Caroline, right, we're so debt-free. $111,000 paid off in 63 months, most of it in the last 12 to 14, making 50 to now 115. Count it down, girls. Let's hear a debt-free scream. Three, two, two one. one. We're debt-free! Yeah. Now, I hope that's encouraging. I hope it's motivating. But this is the picture I want you to catch the most. That that family made a decision to change their family tree. I mean, that's a legacy. They said, our daughters are not going to grow up in slavery. We're going to keep them free. This won't happen on accident. It's something you must fight for. But think about it for a moment. If you were to be completely debt-free, what could you do? You could do anything you'd want to do. But more than that, if you were completely debt-free, you could do anything God wants you to do. Amen. If your family was debt-free, your family could do anything God wanted your family to do. You'd be free to be a generous giver and to be over-tipping all the time. Wouldn't that be fun? You'd be free to go on mission trips and serve all around the world. You'd be free to be able to give extravagant gifts, life-changing gifts. But we have to fight for freedom. Debt and slavery have never been a part of God's plan for his people. In fact, check this out in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. It'll be up on the board. This is where God wants his people to be financially. And in this chapter, he's telling his people, if you obey me, if you obey me, if you heed my words, I'm going to bless you. But watch what he says here. Verse 12, he says, The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. 
Staying out of debt is the way that we show the nations. It's the way we tell the nations just how good our God is. We have no need to borrow from them. But if they have a need, we'll let them borrow from us because our God is so big, he'll not only provide for all, our, all of our needs, he'll provide for yours as well. Look at the testimony we would have if we were debt-free and we are fighting for freedom. Fight for freedom. Friends, this is a, a critical fight for our finances because finances really touch any and every area of our lives. But it's something that God wants us to do. Look down in your notes here, the ones you just filled out in your bulletin. In all areas of our life, we're supposed to imitate God, and no more is that more true than right here in finances. Number one, fight for generosity. Is God a generous God? He's a generous God. Does, does God save? Yeah. He has a rich storehouse up in heaven full of treasures and blessings he's ready to hand out. Is God on budget? He's always on budget. He's always on time. Does God want his children to know the right way to handle money? Yeah, he included that in his scripture. Will God ever be in any kind of debt to anyone? No, never. Our God's never in debt. So here's that final thought. The way I handle finances should be a testimony of God's work in my life. Amen. The way I handle finances should be a testimony of God's work in my life. We need to fight for these things. Fight to be debt-free. Most importantly, what I really want you to understand is not only does God want you to be free of debt, but He doesn't want you to be in any sin debt either. You see, this morning we sang about how Christ paid it all when he was on the cross. If you're in Sunday school, we talked about the sacrifice Christ gave us when he was on the cross. The whole reason for that was to pay a debt that we could not pay. Our generous God so loved the world that he gave his only son to pay a debt that we could not pay. That was the whole purpose of him being on the cross. And now since we have this payment that has been fulfilled, we can receive that payment as a free gift. Romans chapter nine, uh, 10, verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the single greatest transaction you could ever make in your life. And it's the transaction that God desires for you to make. Every head bowed and, and every eye closed. We're going to have a moment of invitation. And Christians, I just want to speak to you and say this is an area of life that we must get right. We cannot afford to mess this up. Are you handling money? Are you handling God's money, God's way? Is your family being generous? Is your family being patient? Is your family being wise? These are the things we need to be fighting for. And if you're in debt, mom and dad, your, your family needs nothing more than you to give everything you have to fight your way out of debt as soon as possible. It's time to get your family out of slavery and to change your family tree forever, to start a new family legacy. But for those of you that you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, you would be still owing a debt.
It's a sin debt. And most importantly, we want you to know that you don't have to stay in that sin debt. That there has been a payment that has been made and you can be set free today. Christ's payment on the cross was for you. And the free gift of salvation is available for you. In just a moment, we're all going to stand and we're gonna, I'm going to say a prayer. And if you've never received this free gift, I want you to come make your way to the front where I have some of my friends that are ready to talk with you about the sacrifice that Christ made for you. Today could be the day that you're set free. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, if you want Jesus to set you free, please come down and let us know. That's what we're here to do. Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you so much for loving us. Father, we thank you for the advice and the wisdom that your scripture offers us concerning finances. And, and we pray that you would help us in that endeavor. But Father, we can't thank you enough for paying our debt for us. We love you. And we thank you for making all things new for us. Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone that, that needs you as their Savior, Father, this morning that they will come down here and let us know. It's your name we pray.